0: Hey everybody, welcome to a classic episode of The Good Lion Podcast. Man, this one is quite the episode. It is two episodes for the price of one. Back in the day, we were scared to go long with our episodes, but we've learned that it's actually something that you guys don't seem to mind. So this is both parts of our season one series about violence, sex, and nudity in media. We asked the question, should a Christian watch sex scenes? And if they choose to, what will the effect be on their soul? Back in 2019, when we first recorded this, the show Game of Thrones was all the rage. And so this was a conversation that was really relevant at the time, but really the way that media has been progressing. This is a topic that's only getting more relevant as the culture gets more and more comfortable with sexuality and sexual expression. What does that mean for the Christian? This episode was the first time that Brian and I really, I feel like, found our stride as co-hosts where we thought, hey, let's take this topic and let's really dive into it. Let's really flesh it out and nuance it out. And I actually find it funny. I remember I had a friend who at the time was another youth pastor, and he was just like, bro, like (laughs) this episode should have been two minutes long. You should have just said, yes, it's a sin. Why did you spend two entire episodes on this topic? And my response to him was like, bro, I think that these are complex conversations and they deserve complex answers. And that's really been the heart of this show. One of our taglines has been no easy answers. We want to dive into this stuff that is not safe and point people to the God that is very good. So, I still love these episodes. I think these episodes mark the moments where Brian and I really hit our stride together as co-hosts in the early seasons. And so I hope you enjoy this. I hope it speaks to you and I hope it makes you think. I hope it challenges you and I hope it makes you think. Let's dive into another classic episode of The Good Line Podcast.
1: Welcome to The Good Line Podcast. I'm here with Brian Higgins. Hey, Brian. Hey everyone. Why don't you tell people what we're going to be talking about today?
2: Today we are talking... I don't remember if we have a specific title for this. I mean, by the time you're listening to this, there will be a specific title. Mm. But the topic is sexuality and nudity in media. Yeah. I have sex,
1: violence, and nudity in media. I thought about maybe titling it like game of thrones and christians because that's way more clickbaity, <laughs> and that'll get more clicks yeah. but but i also like the more formal titles but
2: yeah well if you're listening to this you didn't need the clickbaity title to get here so good on you there you go you're the kind of person we want listening to this we love you ed just like pick a specific name i just said ed we love you so, like ed we love you ed There you go. if there's a guy named ed listening to this let us know because yeah. that'd be really awesome if we just randomly picked out your name <laughs> Today, we're going to be talking about sex, violence,
1: and nudity in the entertainment industry. The question is, why? Brian, why are we talking about
2: this? Well, there's a few reasons. Um, One, I think you kind of alluded to, um, and this, I think, not to kind of blend things together, but uh, to kind of share what has been happening with this and what our heart is for this kind of at the same time. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm sure many people listening, I know I noticed a ton of really unbalanced articles (laughs) about particularly sex and nudity in media Hmm. with Game of Thrones coming out. And it was a lot of like, like there was an article that I remember seeing that was like why I repented of Game of Thrones and you should too. It was just like, so um, like I, I didn't even read it. I just saw the title. So maybe it's super balanced and they just put a clickbaity title on it. But there's been more reason recently with, and it's not just Game of Thrones. Like, there's a ton of different examples that you could go to. Oh yeah, it's everywhere. Where, yeah, where media is just getting progressively more, more, greedy yeah, more all sexual around. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. So because of that, it's you know more, more of. More pop TV is moving away from the broadcast uh, regulations that come with being on ABC or Fox or whatever. Yeah. And now because everything is coming directly out, like all the big shows at this point are on Netflix, Amazon Prime, HBO and Showtime. Like that's where everything is going
1: first. Right. The big shows that people care about the most. and. Yeah, I mean, I, for years, have been seeing stuff about Game of Thrones, and uh, I know that right now, because of the finale, it's really big, and a lot of people that I know personally have been talking about it. And I think this is really the first time that we're tapping into kind of the reason why we named Good Lion, Good Lion. Um, The reason we named it Good Lion was its reference to Aslan in the Chronicles of Narnia, And there's a, it's a really funny story, but there's a beaver talking to Lucy and she's like, oh, is Aslan a safe lion? And he's like, what are you talking about? He's not safe, but he's good. And, you know, here at Good Lion, that's what we want to try to accomplish is we want to hit topics that aren't necessarily safe topics. Like it's not the normal kind of topics you're going to hear on Christian broadcasting, but the perspective we're trying to bring is one that's not safe, but one that's good because ultimately it reflects... The Lord. So, I mean,
2: yeah these these are topics that just thinking about my preaching days, like these are topics I'd be nervous to preach on. Yeah, you were, these you were are a the middle school things, pastor. <laughs> well, yeah, part of it is I was a middle school pastor, but just in general, like these are topics where, when you're preaching, you can feel the audience perk up, and you can feel everyone really analyzing how you're attacking a subject and right. how or not attacking. Yeah. How far you're pushing with it, how far you're laying back. Mm. Um, every word feels like it becomes more important when you jump into something like this. So yeah, I know from my standpoint, as someone who teaches the Bible, this is a way more fun way to go about attacking yeah, this Absolutely, because it's not in the stuffy confines that a Sunday morning can be. It's not in this realm where I only expect certain topics and I don't expect these other things. Right. Um, and it's discussional. It's discussional. Yeah, it gives us right. room to kind of like wade deeper into the gray and yeah. not necessarily just say, well, I've only got three minutes to talk about this because it has to fit within my sermon as a whole. Right. So yeah. I'll and- just try to do three good minutes and then move back into you know jesus doing a miracle (laughs) or something like whatever your text is on
1: and and i think it's time for us just at the front of the show to just release our official stance so the official stance of the good line podcast network on you know this kind of stuff sex violence and nudity in media is if you're a christian you really should only be watching veggie tales
3: broccoli celery gotta be VeggieTales
1: that's really the stance we want to take, right?
2: I really thought we were going to make the joke the other way (laughs) and be like, we're just good with anything. Like, Watch whatever you want. If it's good TV, it's good TV. What can I say? So we're neither of those two (laughs) stances. Right.
1: So our heart in this is we want to be... Two non judgmental voices. We don't want to make anybody feel bad. We don't want to talk down to anybody or judge anybody. I think too often in Christian conversation, we tend to oversimplify things. We're either very blunt and matter of fact about things that maybe even the Bible doesn't necessarily say clearly. So, for instance, you know, we could just say, oh, any Christian that watches a sex scene and nudity is bad and they probably aren't listening to the Holy Spirit and they just need to repent. Or we could say, you know, any Christian that thinks it's a sin to watch sex scenes is just a legalistic, stuck up jerk and they need to lighten up and have fun, and I don't think that either one of those statements are true or helpful. I think there's a lot of nuance in this conversation. Mm-hmm. Completely agreed. And that's you know part of the reason why we do this podcast is we like diving into nuance and we like doing deep dives into topics. So. I think the first question we need to address before we go any further is really, you know, let's focus on nudity for a second, because that's what Game of Thrones and a lot of HBO shows are known for. They've become, um, there's a lot of notoriety around those shows based on how much nudity is in them. So the first question I think would be, you know, is nudity sinful? What do you think, Brian?
2: Well, I think that is a very simple way to try to look at the question
1: it is but that's um, that's where a lot of people go as they want a simple answer
2: yeah and, and that's where as we were talking about getting ready for this we kind of started pulling away from just the idea of media and started trying to dive into and the most of what this podcast i think is going to be is us trying to diving into the the heart behind the action. Like I think if anything is clear in the Sermon on the Mount, it's that Jesus is less interested in the actions that you live throughout your life. He's less interested in the stuff you do as he is in the reasons you do that stuff. Right. Like he wants us to be a people that reach out to the poor because he wants us to have a generous heart. He wants us to be people who don't lie because he wants us to be people who live and are rooted in truth and reality. So trying to dive into just a simple, is this action wrong? Right. Is so appealing because we like rules and without (laughs) realizing it, we're appealing to uh, we're appealing to religion, right we're appealing to essentially a f- yeah, a form of paganism, if you right. want to take it to that extreme of if I just do the right stuff, then the distant deity will be happy with me. So right. just tell me the right stuff to do right. And then uh, then I'll be okay. And, yeah. and so to dive a little bit into, you know, is nudity right and wrong? It all depends on context. Yeah, Um, context. You know, one of the examples that we were talking about was pulling away from watching a TV. Um, Doctors. Are forced to see nudity all the time, and yeah, they literally hold
1: a gun to their head and said, "You will look at this naked person." <laughs> it's a doctor well, I mean, thing.
2: I, I didn't. I didn't realize
1: until I talked to my doctor friend. It happens all the time.
2: Yeah, that's a, a real thing that happens. Oklahoma don't, is a strange place. I don't know um, why I'm mocking you. I'm sorry. Go. go I don't ahead. know either, but go it's ahead. fine. Um, makes me feel like I'm back in the Northeast. There you go. Um, so it's good. Yeah, but like someone who's a doctor where someone comes into their to the ER or whatever, someone comes into their practice and you know to to treat them, they are they need to see the full person. Like they need to see what's actually going on in different places. Right. And no one in a church setting would say, "Whoa, hold on. You saw what today?" Like no one would do that. We wouldn't look at that doctor and say, the fact that you saw somebody else naked is right. therefore sin. Right. So that kind of gives us a beginning point. It shows us that nudity necessarily is not sinful unto itself. Right. It's not 100% just like when... The, like It's not like murder. <laughs> you know, like murder, whenever it happens, no one is going to sit there and be like, well, were you a doctor? Like, no one is going to do that. Like murder is just wrong we have that 100% lying is just wrong like we have a lot of those things a little bit more clearly like this is found
1: in the 10 commandments so it's not as easy to just jump straight forward and say oh this is 100% wrong
2: exactly yeah yeah
1: So I think if we were going to construct a theology of sexual imagery or nudity, you know, it starts, obviously, as Tim Mackey always says, between pages one and three of the Bible, you've got Genesis chapter two, verse 25 says, and then the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So God makes Adam and Eve. They're innocent. There's no shame. But then we all know what happens. There's the fall. They eat the fruit. They betray God and they doom the world and they're ashamed of their nakedness at that point. They realize they're naked. It's like that veil of knowledge is lifted and it says that God clothes them with animal skin. And I think some of the conclusions you can draw from this story is, you know, the human body is not evil. It's good. God created people naked, the intention was actually for um, people to be naked, which is actually very strange for me to think of now because it seems so outlandish. But in our world, it's fallen and our minds are distorted. And so God actually acknowledges the need for covering in this fallen world. And I think, you know, the story of Genesis shows us that nudity itself is not a sin, But it's what are the intentions behind it? What are we doing with it? Like, if if nudity itself were a sin, like if it was just a sin to be naked, that would create a huge problem for people who were bathing or showering. Mm -hmm. You'd be be in sin every time you stepped in the shower. Um, But, you know, I mean, actually, that that makes me think of the story of David and Bathsheba.
2: Hmm. Yeah.
1: Because she's bathing on the roof. David's spying on her. He lusts after her and then he takes her for his own. Who was sinning in that story? David or Bathsheba?
2: Definitely David.
1: Right. It's not... Bathsheba was just, you know, sinning that she was naked. She was just a poor woman bathing in what she thought was privacy. It's it's not that she was naked, it's what David decided to do with the nudity. Mm-hmm. And then on the flip side, you know, Bathsheba was bathing specifically where she knew David would see her and was trying to attract him, you know, would she also be in sin? Mm. Yeah. Right. And, and I think, you know, David was in sin because he responded. And so I think the problem is not nudity itself, it's when we use nudity as a tool Cool to get sexual attention on ourselves, which is, you know, the entire porn industry, or when we abuse someone else's nudity for our own sexual gratification. Um,
2: and I so guess let me, let me yeah. throw this, uh, yeah. let me, let's keep pushing into that. And let me just throw this question by you. Um, I think I know what you're going to say, but I just want to be sure. Um, do you think if David goes out onto the roof, because like part of it, part of understanding the David and Bathsheba story is understanding that your roof back then was just a very different thing than your roof right now. Now. Yeah. Like if I am ever on my roof, like call help, something has gone wrong. I'm about to break something. I'm almost never on my roof. And by exactly. almost, I mean, absolutely never. on my I roof. I never want to be on my roof. Never. There was like one time when I was a kid, when my dad was like, want to go on the roof? And I was like, yes. And then that <laughs> has never happened again. Okay. Um, but like it was natural, like thinking about a culture without indoor plumbing, the easiest way to get water is to catch it when it falls from the sky so mm. bathing on the roof was not an uncommon thing it was the easiest way to collect enough water oh. that you could actually bathe yourself oh, so in. you just
1: you just put a bucket up there yeah then,
2: oh that's nasty <laughs> i mean it's that's nasty it, it was like what 700 bc yeah six something i'm glad we don't live then we definitely wouldn't be making this podcast it's so much better today yeah um yeah anyone who's like i want to go back to jesus's day it's like you don't realize how convenient we have everything i don't understand why he didn't come now like
1: why did he come then it doesn't he knew everything anyway sorry i know get get the train back on track
2: sorry so like it it was not uncommon for people to be bathing on the roof because i remember when i first read that story i was like this girl is weird and like i thought of her as like the person like a seductress almost exactly like like the one who wears the the really like scantily clad outfit to try to get people to look at her but that's not what was happening it was a very common thing yeah it was also common for people to just go hang out on their roof right like it, it was normally a flatter surface obviously otherwise it'd be very hard to bathe on it um so it, it became like an extra outdoor room. So both of them are using their roof for what it normally would get used for. Right. So then do you think if David goes outside, starts looking around the city because he's the king and he has the right to kind of just like go on his roof and look right. around like we still Survey go to tall realm. places and like see beautiful areas around us. It's a natural thing. Yeah. If he goes up and notices Bathsheba and is like, whoa, I am, even if she doesn't know what's happening, I am infringing on a personal moment. I am going to go back inside. Yeah, that's what he should have done. Do you call that sin? Oh, no. Like it, just to witness it? No, I mean, yeah, I think
1: you can't, you can maybe define it as like a mistake, but it's mm-hmm. not a mistake of intent. Um, I, I love uh, if any of you guys are listening to this and uh, you're ever wondering about the definition of sin, the Bible Project does a really good three-part video series called Bad Words of the Bible that kind of explores what sin even means. So check that out. But yeah, I mean, they, they kind of helped me define sin as something that we do that is hurtful towards God, is hurtful towards others. So we're not talking about an accidental glance where it, mm-hmm. there was no intent for you to abuse somebody else. It's when you catch that glance and you go, oh, I like that. And then you decide to dwell on it, which is what David did. You know, he he saw it and then he said, I like that. I want to keep looking. And then he said, I got to have that. Mm -hmm. And he went and got it.
2: Yeah, that's that's exactly where I thought you would go with it, which That kind of intentional decision-making is really important when it comes to our modern-day conversation about sex and nudity and and violence as well in media. There are some things where you didn't screen it, you didn't know it was coming, and you don't necessarily need to beat yourself up over it, Yeah, but... Sometimes the longer a scene goes on, the more you're choosing to stick around, right, and the or- more you're choosing like this is not worth me looking away yet
1: right and you know we'll explore this topic more as we go on but i think if we're watching a show and there's sexually stumbling images in that show that cause us to you know have issues and stumble and deal with lust if we continue to go back to that show and just ignore the pattern of how it affects us then then we're we're basically making the same mistake as david um i would want to ask you brian you know we're right now we're just focusing on the topic of nudity um I think Bathsheba, you know, we're talking about that story and how it would have been wrong for her to be naked explicitly for the purpose of trying to cause a sexual reaction. You mm-hmm. know, that's not what she did. But if she was trying to lure David, that would be wrong. But then I think it's important, especially, you know, for our single listeners um, to kind of build a, a, a framework in our minds of, you know, if if nudity, if, if we're saying nudity is wrong, if we're trying to get, if we're trying to sexually appeal to somebody, then why is it okay? Okay in marriage. I think that would be the question. You know, why why is it actually encouraged? You go, you know, you go your whole life and people say, Oh, you know, don't try to tempt one another, don't try to stumble one another, and then you get married, and then it's like, Oh no, you you should be trying to get a reaction from your husband or wife. Mm-hmm. What do you what do you think?
2: Yeah, I think I think it goes back to the way that God gives himself away in relationships. So think about God with Adam and Eve. He's like, hey, guys, I I hope that's how he began. He's like, hey, guys, guys. you're going to be my people. I'm going to be your God. I'm going to lead you. I'm going to guide you. You have a perfect world. I'm going to walk with you and I'm going to dwell with you. And we're going to enjoy a beautiful relationship together just don't eat the fruit Mm. that's it and and so god gives himself completely to his people through the form of a covenant with a couple conditions or in that case really just one like Mm. Mm. trust that my definition of right and wrong is actually correct and the people rebel against that yeah that shows you a way that god gives himself away now go to the old covenant god hanging out with israel hey everyone you're going to be my people. I'm going to be your God. I'm going to use you to proclaim my glory. I'm going to use you to make the other nations jealous of me and make them want and desire the kind of relationship that you guys have with me. Um, part of you being my people means that there are some constraints or conditions around the way that you're going to live your life. Mm. Um, they're really bad at it. There's (laughs) the whole old Testament, just like read it. It's messed up. Um, Then you get to Jesus with the new covenant, and he says, I am going to give myself away to you people again. I will be your God. You will be my people. I'm going to give you my goodness. I'm going to give you righteousness that can only come from me. I'm going to make us right. Right. And you're going to give up your allegiance to all other gods and rulers and ways of thinking about the world, and you're going to be faithful to my way. And if you do that, I will give all of myself to you. Hmm. So throughout, throughout the scriptures, whenever God gives himself away, gives all of himself to his people, he does it in the safety of covenant. Right. Because imagine like, you know, you know what happens when um, or I'll just use a personal example. When, when my wife and I were driving out from New Jersey to California, as we were doing this move, one of the places we stayed overnight was in Phoenix. And that was the first time where we weren't like staying with a friend or we weren't put up by someone. So we were just going to our own hotel. Um, so booked a random place. It was a cool place. It worked out. Um, we were like a little afraid we were going to get murdered, but, we, <laughs> um, So we go to the front desk and we're getting all checked in. We're doing all of our stuff. And maybe this is just not being in the Northeast. Like maybe just the niceness of people in other places makes them ask questions about what's going on in your life. (laughs) And the woman behind the counter started asking like, hey, you know, where are you? Are you from here? Are you headed somewhere? And we told her like, hey, we're moving from... New Jersey, we're going to California. This is our last leg, blah, blah, blah. Right. And she just kind of like kept asking questions and kept being like, yeah, so like, where are you going to be living? And like, what are you going to be doing? And do you have friends in that area? And have you been to Phoenix before? And she just was very upfront with like, hey, give me more information about your life. (laughs) And in my head, I was like, I don't know you. Right. Stop asking me. Give this me is a room. Inappropriate. This is all I want from you is for you to do your job and give me the room key. Like, I don't want to have this conversation. We're not friends. We don't know each other. Like right. We don't have the kind of relationship where you should expect me to give these things over to you. Right. To give you this information. It, that's not where we are. And so, yeah. And, and so the same is true, I think. In sexuality there is one kind of safe relationship where yes. giving yourself away is helpful to the relationship it shows trust it shows vulnerability and there's really great joy to be found within that but to do that without the safety and structure and support that comes in a marriage, right. rather than being helpful and promoting the good of both people, it's damaging and can change the way that you define good in a relationship.
1: It makes me think of that conversation that you were having. It wasn't that crazy of a thing you guys were doing. Like that That's a very normal thing to have a conversation and ask people about what's going on in their life and all those details. What made it inappropriate was exactly, it was the lack of the real relationship. It was the lack of the proper context of the relationship. There was no friendship there. And Mm -hmm. that's that's what made it so inappropriate and weird and awkward. In the same way with sex, like sex isn't some strange, crazy thing. A lot of times for Christian kids growing up, it feels like it because no one ever talks about it. When they do, it's very hush-hush. But it's a very natural, good, awesome thing God made. So the reason that it's so inappropriate outside of marriage is because that relationship, the the reason it was established is not present. It'd be like, you know, if you tried to throw a Christmas party in the middle of like November or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever, some month that's not December, people would be like, this is really weird. Why are you doing this? You know? Yeah. So. Exactly.
2: And and even to add to that a little bit, um, I think part of where the disconnect comes for church kids is I remember being a church kid and just being told sex is wrong right now and one day it'll be amazing. Which and I such I was a, a weird message. It is a really weird message and it's not a helpful message. This is and, really bad, but one day it's going to be really good. <laughs> it's exactly. Like, But that's how most people, I think, in the church grow up thinking about sex. And so I was never aware. And maybe you can't be aware until you're actually in it, but... Like I was never all I was told about sex growing up was that one day it'll be the happiest thing that you do. And so you just begin to build it up in your head and you just begin to think the only way I will find true, meaningful, lasting joy is through sex. And you just tell yourself that and you build that up in your head and you train yourself to think. Like you deny yourself now by thinking about gratifying yourself later. And so you're like, I'm not going to do anything sexual now so that when I do get to do sexual things, then it'll be like even better then. And you start thinking in that weird way. And I remember... I remember getting married and I remember like the buildup to getting married. Like suddenly all your Christian friends are like, Whoa, it's going to happen. Like you just have all of those. Which is so weird. Which is weird that we talk about it the way that we do. Yeah. Christians are
1: really cringy when it comes to sex around the marriage time. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Nonetheless, all of that stuff happened. And I just remember getting married and the main thing that I felt about sex was a feeling of vulnerability hmm. rather than like this huge like i i just remember in high school thinking like sex is only fun and pleasurable and one day i'll get to do that and then you'd be like looking at a girl in school and in your head you'd be like whoa like i could just totally have sex with that person and like you just your mind goes to all those places yeah and then i got married and then that element of our relationship became available And then I just remember thinking like, oh my goodness, this would be terrifying to do with a bunch of people. Like I would (laughs) never want to give myself away to multiple people over and over and over again. Like, I'm so glad the structure of our friendship and relationship and the commitment level. I'm glad all of that surrounds the way that we engage in sex, because without it, you take something that could be really gratifying and really life affirming and really trust building. And when you turn it into a performance or when you turn it into an audition, it becomes something it was never intended to be. And
1: that's really what I would say, you know, and I would say this confidently that Satan, you know, our true enemy has been trying for ages and ages to to twist it and take it away from something that's precious, something that's about vulnerability, something that's about trust, something that's about, you know, security and affirmation and support between a husband and wife to make it this thing where people see it as this is the reason for existence and mm-hmm. it's boring in marriage. And so you need to go out and while you're young and just get as much of it as you can from as, yeah. many, as many people as you can in whatever way makes you feel good. And that's why I think in media, we see so much of it. And and so I'd, I'd want to jump back on that topic of sexuality in media. And I think a point that I would make and I'm, an important conversation to have Is the distinction between watching violent content and watching nudity? Because I think that's where a lot of people might go. Is maybe you know they would say, well, you know, why is it wrong to watch nudity? But then a lot of you Christians are totally fine with violence and and war movies and you know just epic Lord of the Rings battles. You know why is that okay? But then why is you know why is nudity wrong? And um, well, where would you go with that question, Brian? What would you say?
2: So I had this thought as we were preparing this particular question. Um, like we were just saying, healthy, life-affirming, relationship-building sex happens privately. It yeah. happens within the confines of a marriage, happens away from where people can spy in and look on it and all that. Like when you go to a restaurant and the couple that's at like the fire pit is just like going to town on each other you're like whoa this is weird like yeah it's you, so bad I yeah you that. pull back from that you naturally hate that like no one looks at real life public sex and says like this is a good thing like everyone feels like nope that belongs privately like If you're feeling bold, you'll literally shout out at them, get a room. Yeah. Like, go be away from all of us. Like, it's not that what you're doing is necessarily wrong. It's that where you're doing it is wrong. Right. And I think that you can actually make
1: a parallel with that with violence because Mm -hmm. public real violence is very uncomfortable. Like, if you're walking down the street and you see an old woman getting mugged or a child being beaten by their parent or some abuser. That's a very uncomfortable situation. Mm -hmm. Um, Now you could say, you know, when it comes to watching TV shows with violence, you know, simulated violence is, you know, it's just a simulation. You're not actually watching someone, you know, kill or take the life of another human. Um, But there's actually dark web video channels. I don't know if you've heard about this, but there's dark web video channels out there where you can actually watch what's called snuff films, which is videos of people actually killing other people. And, oh goodness. Yeah, and those videos are actually considered illegal because watching them, in watching them, we're actually watching someone's life being taken for real and I think mm-hmm. ev- everyone knows deep down like that's something that we should not be watching. That's the kind of thing that mm-hmm. you know soldiers that have come back from the war, you know, they've got PTSD from watching that kind of stuff. It's not something that as humans we we're meant to see. And and I think I would ask the question why is that wrong? Like why is it wrong for humans to entertain ourselves with real violence, like real actual people being abused and hurt or even
2: killed. I think you're training yourself to enjoy something that God does not enjoy. You know, I I think a lot about in John chapter 10, where Jesus, I forget exactly who he's speaking to, but he says, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Mm. I have come that they may have life and that more abundantly. Yeah. So so you see this distinction between what does Satan come, come to do? He comes to steal from us, he comes to kill us, and he comes to destroy us. And the celebration of destruction comes from satan. Yeah. Um the celebration of life, that is what god does. So I mm. think about um I think about when John the Baptist's disciples come to Jesus and they're like, "Hey, are you the Messiah or are we waiting for another guy?" Like they're 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 thinking, they're interested, they're not really sure and they're like, "What's the deal?" And Jesus to show them that he is god, he says, "Look at what you see around you. Um, the lame walk, uh, the mute can speak, the blind can see, the deaf can hear, and he's giving all of these examples. These dead things are coming to life again. Yeah. That is how you know that I actually am the Messiah. Right. So God is always in the business of taking dead things and bringing them to life. It's Satan mm. that's in the business of taking living things mm. and trying to destroy them. To kill, so when steal and we, destroy. Mm. Exactly. So when we jump on board by saying like, like you, we may not feel like video creators. We create videos by our demand for them. Yeah. Mm. So when we when we as a nation watch hours and hours and hours of porn mm. we tell the porn industry this is good keep doing this yeah, we, want we want more, more. Of it.
1: we want exactly. more of this yeah absolutely
2: when we watch those kinds of videos of literal of actual physical death we're saying this is good make more of this like feed my lust for I think this. the
1: the question i would go to then is you know so so with fake violence you know why is that okay and and i'm not actually right now saying how i actually think about it um i'm just posing the question because i remember mm-hmm making movies in my backyard with my friends. And I remember this one scene in a war movie we were doing where, you know, my friend got shot with a fake gun and he had a packet of corn syrup and red dye food coloring underneath his shirt. And so, he, he hit hit the bag underneath his shirt and he had a little hole cut in it and it just exploded and went everywhere. And, you know, the question is, you know, is is that wrong? Is it wrong to make that kind of fake violence or for, you know, little boys or you know, to run around the backyard and play cowboys and Indians or cops and robbers or whatever, and shoot one another with fake guns, you know, is that wrong? And I mean, I would say, I would say no. I mean, I don't know. What do you, what do you think?
2: Well, this is where I want to go back to the analogy that I started of Healthy sex happens in private. What about Mm. healthy violence? Mm. Is there such a thing? And I think there is. Um, I think that there are times when evil needs to be defeated. Yeah, there are times when wrong needs to be shown as wrong and proven as wrong, you know, regardless of a person's feelings on war. It's very hard for me to say that America's involvement in World War Two was wrong yeah because there was an evil that needed to be stopped there and maybe that's just like super like that's a one specific example but i well i I have pretty anti war views myself, but
1: that is for me uh World War two the biggest struggle of um my views because I look at it the same way where I'm like there was a clear villain there, and if mm-hmm. we just sat by and didn't do anything, I mean then what are we doing so yeah i I'm with you there
2: that so that's where I look at like Let's take like a superhero movie. I think about the, the Christopher Nolan Batman trilogy. Yeah. I loved those movies. Right. And there were clear moments when Christian Bale is... Going to town on Heath Ledger, and you know he's you know there he's acting violently, Mm. but it's not for the sake of destruction. It's for the sake of protection, right? You know, you brought up the idea of the epic Lord of the Rings battle scenes. Mm -hmm. There's a clear villain. There's a clear enemy, and the violence is not just I wanted to destroy something for its own sake. It's I wanted to promote good. I wanted to promote justice. I wanted to see right win out. And I celebrated the defeat of evil. Right. And even think about like healthy violence happens publicly. Not that That's not to say that all violence that happens publicly is healthy. No. But when no. Wh- there's a lot of violence that happens publicly, it's terrible. But yeah. when violence happens in private, it's even more disgusting. You know, think about the way that Um, I'm a big sports fan. I think about the way the NFL has been hit with all of these accusations of players with domestic violence. Yeah. And guys beating their wives and kids. Right. Exactly. And you see Mm. these huge, huge guys like these guys that are peak athletes on the top level. And you see them taking out their aggression on weak, innocent, comparatively small people and everything in you goes, that is wrong. Yeah. That is so messed up. Like, so it's not just that like when violence happens privately, we look at it and go, Oh, that's messed up. And when we're watching violence happen in media, it's not that, um, we're celebrating the violence itself. It's that we're often either celebrating what it's doing or it's distancing us from a a simulated character. Cause I can think about moments where, um, I'm trying to think of an example of this. Um, HBO has a show, Big Little Lies.
1: Oh, yeah. I've heard of that.
2: And there's a character, um, without getting too into it, there's a character in the first season who is very abusive towards his wife. Hmm. And like you're saying, first of all, the abuse is simulated. Like the, the character who is being hurt is not actually being hurt. I remember actually a story of Uh, Jonah Hill talking about the movie Mm mid-90s and in that movie there's a brother who abuses his other brother Mm. and the younger brother actor was like no we need to do this for real like you actually need to hit me Mm. and Jonah Hill was saying the hardest part about making those scenes was actually convincing the older brother actor like, hey, like you you're only going to slap him once. He's going to be okay, Right. Like actually do it like he didn't want to do it for real. He wanted to only simulate it. Right. Um, But those moments of simulated or even for lack of a better term, mildly consensual violence, um, sometimes those happen to distance us from a character. Right. And to say like, oh, now I'm seeing why you're the bad guy that needs to be defeated because of this thing you pretended to do.
1: Yeah, and and I think where I would go with it is, you know, the question of, you know, what makes violence right or wrong? I think even the word violence itself we tend to define as you know any sort of fighting or any sort of you know anything that's aggressive and i think that really the real meaning of violence is at least the way that i've heard it defined sort of in the theological circles i've studied um violence is more destruction and harm of somebody else And so I think, you know, if you and I decided we wanted to take martial arts and spar together, you know, you might call that violent, but it's not destructive. Like we're actually working out at that point and we're not actually trying to harm or hurt one another. But if you and I, you know, go take martial arts and then we start beating up children or old ladies, that's where Mm -hmm. it's like, okay, this is wrong. It's destructive. And so when it comes to media, um, you know, I would say that, you know, we can't necessarily just say, oh, you know, all violence on. television is wrong for us to watch because I think if we can draw a clear distinction between what is fake and what is actually true, it doesn't necessarily cause damage to our soul. And, you know, for me personally, it doesn't tempt me in any way to go out and start killing people. I think there's an argument that's been made a lot of times about violent video games. And I've been playing video games since I was a little kid and I've, I've killed a lot of things like starting all the way back to, you know, Mario, you know, I'd run and jump on a Goomba or I'd kill a turtle and then I'd throw its shell at other enemies and and kill them. You know, I've I've played first person shooting games like Halo and Fortnite and Star Wars games where I've decapitated stormtroopers with lightsabers. And the thing about this is I have no temptation to hurt or harm anyone ever. Like on the contrary, I'm, I'm actually a proponent of a teaching called Christian nonviolence, which means that, you know, my personal belief is as a Christian, I shouldn't harm others. And under any circumstance, I shouldn't kill or take a life of another person. And, you know, we can talk more about that kind of stuff in another podcast episode, but I think that, um, I just don't want to make any blanket statements with violence. Um, I I don't want to necessarily say to watch simulated violence is a sin. Um, but I do think the important question to go from there is, is it wrong to enjoy violence? What do you think? Like to watch violence and take, take pleasure in it.
2: I think it, again, comes back to that definition of violence you just gave. Mm-hmm. Um, honest moment for me. I enjoy watching UFC fights. Great. Um, I like when, you know, the it's like three hours of different fights. I enjoy the competition. I don't really know a lot about it. So if anyone's like, oh, now I can talk to him about UFC, it's like, you're going to be disappointed. I don't know what I'm talking about. but. I enjoy hanging out with friends. I enjoy watching a night of UFC fights. I enjoy the competitiveness of it. I enjoy uh, beginning to understand some of the strategy that's in it and the sportsmanship of it. And uh, there's only really one moment in UFC that makes me recoil from it. And Mm. that's Mm. there are these moments when one person will clearly knock out another Mm. But then they get told, like, you have to keep fighting until the ref stops the fight. Mm. So sometimes a guy will, like, land a really strong kick or whatever and knock the other guy down. And you know immediately it's over. But then that guy will jump on top of the fallen fighter and just kind of keep swinging and swinging until the ref comes in and Mm. stops it. Those moments I hate. Because it's destructive. Exactly. That's when it stops... Because like I love seeing two guys, like even John with each other and like talking back and forth and really getting competitive and into it. Yeah. And then the moment the fight's over, they're hugging and they're like, hey, good fight, man. Right. Like it's it's sportsman. You did really well. Right. Yeah. There's a mutual celebration of mm. you did what you wanted to do in this competitive field. Right. And as soon as it was over, we were both done. Right. Like that to me is really fun and interesting and I don't think that is celebrating like I'm not looking at at saying, like, wow, I'm celebrating the fact that his punch did damage. Like, <laughs> I'm celebrating his competitive spirit. I'm yeah. celebrating yes. um his willingness to persevere. Like to me, I learn a lot of things from sports analogies. Mm. So when I watch people engage in competitive activities and I see the the bravery, I see the the courage, I see the willing the willingness to sacrifice yourself for other people so that they can be the ones that you know score the touchdown make the three pointer whatever they they do what the team needs um all of that makes me want to be a more selfless person Mm. so when it's simply violence that is or when it's simply i won't even call it violence i'll call it physical activity or Mm. violent i guess violent activity so i'm probably going back to that word (laughs) but like I don't look at that and say, oh, man, this is the destruction of another person. I like that part of this. Like, right. I, I'm i not enjoying those parts. I am enjoying the skill it took to accomplish what they needed to accomplish. Yes. And also the sportsmanship as soon as it's over.
1: Right. Yeah.
2: No, absolutely.
1: And I think, yeah, if we were to watch a fight and it's agreed upon and it's consensual and these it's these two sportsmen going at it. I think that's great. I think if we were to watch a YouTube video of one of those fighters showing up at the other guy's house in the middle of the night and just beating the ever loving crap out of him while he's sleeping, Mm -hmm. if we were to enjoy that, I think there is probably something wrong with us to enjoy destruction. The reason I'm making this point is because I think it actually applies to the nudity thing, but I didn't want to just jump straight to the nudity. I actually wanted Mm -hmm. to use violence as a way to kind of give us a framework because it's not necessarily the, the fighting that is wrong, but it's when it turns to destruction and an enjoyment of that destruction that things become wrong. If we enjoy watching people being hurt and abused, humans made in the image of God like that that is wrong. We're called to love one another and not abuse one another. You and I could fight, um, in a sportsman way and still love one another. Um, but if I enjoy violence to the point where I get kind of a sick, twisted satisfaction from watching it, I think that's where, for me, I'm drifting into the realm of sin. And, you know, the reality is there's a lot of violence on TV. Um, You know, it's a lot more, you know, I think there's statistics out there that say that, you know, children see so many more deaths and and killing on television than, you know, previous generations growing up. But I think that... For us to watch these things, it's not necessarily wrong to watch these things. Just like it's not necessarily wrong to read Bible stories or books where there's wars or violence or people dying. I don't think it's wrong. But if we're sitting there watching it and then all of a sudden it fills us with this kind of twisted satisfaction of like, I like seeing this. I love seeing the person get decapitated. I love the blood Oh, I torture them more and i'm I'm bringing this up because this is actually a real thing. like there are this isn't my experience i don't I don't get that kind of pleasure from watching those things, but there might be people listening to this where you realize when you watch this kind of content, it fills you with lust. A different kind of lust. It's not a sexual lust. It's a blood lust. It's where you get pumped and you get excited about violence and, and, and maybe all of a sudden you're filled with a desire to go and hurt somebody else. Um, I think if that's your experience, then. It it probably is not the best thing for you and for your soul to watch content that fills you with a desire to go and hurt somebody else. Just in the same way, you know, my struggle would be watching something sexual and being filled with a a impure sexual desire. Um, I'm just trying. I'm just trying to illustrate that there are other mm-hmm. types of lusts out there than just sexual lust. There's all types yeah. of lusts.
2: I think the lust. At at its core is looking to gain for yourself at the expense of another mm. in any way. Yeah. So you can you can have money lust and you can say, I am going to gain financially at the expense of other people. And I don't care who I have to step on, and I don't care who have to get hurt who has to get hurt, as long as I win in the end. Yes. Um, and that's really the heart of sexual lust. Forget what this other person needs. I want them to gratify me. And that's why you talked about the idea of there's the argument watching violence in media doesn't necessarily make me want to go be violent. Right. Well, you can make the argument the same way. Watching sexuality in media doesn't necessarily make me want to go and watch porn. People can make that argument.
1: Yeah, I would personally um, make that argument. You know, I've I've struggled mm. with that temptation since I was a young man. And so um, for me to watch sexual content, it's not a good thing for my marriage. It's not a good thing for me and my relationship with the Lord. So I try to avoid it personally. Mm-hmm. But I mean, that that, completely agree. That is a great point, though. What would you say to somebody who would say that? Like maybe there are people out there who are more asexual. You know, there there's men and women who and I've actually spoken to young people who struggle with this, where they don't really have a lot of sexual temptation or feelings. Um, They'd be fine without being in a relationship. They'd be fine without getting married. They're just okay on their own. And there's people who claim, you know, they can watch, you know, full on sex scenes and it doesn't affect them. I mean, I would I'm throwing the hard questions to you, Brian.
2: (laughs) Well, I would. That's fine. Um, I would say two things before I even get to that. I I just want to complete the point of it's not even about what happens next. It's about what's happening in the moment. Mm. Um, So I can watch violent scenes and they may not tempt me towards going out and being violent but if i am finding satisfaction in just destruction for its own sake not the destruction of evil not the destruction of an enemy but rather just destruction for its own sake that unto itself is damaging for my soul Hmm. if i'm watching a sexual scene and it's not inspiring me to go watch porn or anything but just in that moment there's a sexual desire that is satisfied that unto itself is wrong that Hmm. unto itself is damaging to the soul for the person then that says, well, I don't have those desires. I don't have that issue. Can we define that a little bit more? Like when
1: you're saying a sexual desire, would you maybe say it like, I I remember what it was like being a teenager and there was a desire to see nudity. Like it was just Mm -hmm. like, you know, because it seems so otherworldly and it seemed like, you know, this is something that's, I'm I'm not going to get to see on a daily basis. There was definitely a desire for that. Like, oh, I want to see that. And then it was like when I would watch a movie that I wasn't supposed to be watching and it would have that really quick scene there would almost be that satisfaction where it's like yeah I saw it is that kind of what you're talking about exactly okay, yeah. it, okay. it's
2: not necessarily that you need to go out and then go have sex or go do something to you know really go and, and embrace that desire hmm. but even just that little thought of you know what I'm going to watch this movie and you know I know that there might be a little something in it I'm not going to do anything anything else afterwards, but I'm going to enjoy that little something right. like you're still watching it with the intention of this will, to a small degree, gratify me sexually. Mm. And it doesn't matter what it does. To anybody else, it matters that I get that. That unto itself is lust. That unto itself is wrong. That unto itself is teaching you damaging things about sexuality.
1: That's a really important point that we can get sexual gratification from things that we shouldn't, even if there's no sexual act that takes place. Mm -hmm. Like we can just look at someone. And, And Jesus says, you know, in Matthew, he says to look at somebody with lust is to commit adultery in our hearts, even if there's no actual act that happened, just taking that look intentionally saying, I'm going to dress this person down with my eyes and my imagination, or, you know, I'm going to watch this movie intentionally knowing that this actress is going to get naked. And even if there's no act that happens afterwards, we can still say that's, that's not the best thing for the person's soul. And that's something that we, you know, if that's your intention, watching those things, thinking I'm going to get some gratification from it, I I think we can call that sin.
2: Mm -hmm. So now going back to the person who says, well, I don't have those sexual desires. A lot of what we're saying is if you're doing it for that desire, you're teaching yourself an unhealthy way to relate to other people. Mm. Even without those sexual desires, you could still be teaching yourself yourself that nudity like you said in the beginning something that god said after the fall this is not good for you to have exposed everywhere there needs to be a covering for this and there needs to be strong relational undergirding before this becomes good and healthy Just because you don't have that desire doesn't mean it's magically healthy. Okay, but doesn't.
1: Yeah. I want to push back on that though because I'm I'm with you, <laughs> like I agree with you, but I also mm-hmm. I'm with you, but I know kind of what the skeptic listening to this, you know, might be thinking, and that's what you're saying is watching sex watching nudity on television can create, you know, distorted perceptions of that kind of thing, unhealthy perceptions. Well, can't we just say the same thing about violence? Like, can't we just say, oh, you know, for a Christian, we know that the world was created by God to be a nonviolent world and for no death and destruction. So isn't watching war movies and Lord of the Rings and star Wars, you know, where people are getting hacked up by lightsabers. Isn't, isn't that on the same level? You know, what, where can we make that distinction?
2: It, it can be, but I don't think it inherently is. Why? Um, Why? Because there are a lot of other factors, like a lot of factors go into violence. You know, was a person provoked? Was it for the protection of someone weaker? Was it, um, for the sake of seeing good, triumph over evil um, there's a lot of things that go into what what makes a violent act happen and what makes a violent act right or wrong
1: okay so I, I know where you're going with that and i'm gonna be i'm gonna be a real jerk right now and just really let's push push you on this so let's say we're watching a movie and there's a very graphic sex scene in it but it's between a loving consensual committed husband and wife character and let's just say they're christians and throw that in there too <laughs> um, why is that wrong to watch
2: because that? i'm not in that marriage mm. because that's not me um they're not neither of them are my wife you yes. know neither of them will be your husband they like i hope not yeah exactly i i hope not too but like that's the thing whenever we're talking about sexuality no one i don't i don't believe there's a way to use sexuality to vanquish wrong or like there's not other inherent good or otherwise forces other than sex happens so that someone's sexual desire can be gratified
1: yeah and i think i think where i would go with it is it's not wrong for me to witness violence and like, you know, in, in any sense, you know, if there's a, a war going on in my country and let's say it's an unjust war, it's an evil war, but then I'm there and I'm present and I'm watching it happen. I'm watching the bombs fall, like whether or not, you know, it's a good war or a bad war. It's not wrong for me to, to, witness it and be there and and be and to experience it, you know, because it's happening to me in that moment.
2: Well, think about, can we add another illustration to that? Think about all of the police camera footage that's coming out over yeah. the last few years of right. officers hurting those who don't deserve to be hurt. Right. Yeah, right. We're glad that that footage comes out. Yes. Because then we are aware so that we can do something to right the wrong. Right, absolutely.
1: And, and so I'm just trying to say to to witness these things, that it's not like anyone would look at me and say, "Oh, you're in the wrong for standing there and witness it." But if I walk into a room and I am there hiding in the closet while a couple is making love, that is wrong. And I think most people would agree, you know, that mm-hmm. is wrong because there's something sacred about it. And and I've got this I've got this analogy that I came up with in the middle of a Facebook conversation a few years back and it was about this very topic and um, I'm going to throw it at you because I, I think it is helpful and maybe you can let me know if it's helpful or not. But so let's, let's say, are you a star Wars fan, Brian?
2: Uh, Yes, but not at the level that most people who call themselves <laughs> star Wars fans are.
1: Okay. Well, I mean, but you enjoy a good star Wars movie, right? Absolutely. Okay. So let's say the actors who are in Star Wars said, we want to film a scene for our movie in your backyard, and it's going to be a fight scene, it's going to be amazing, lots of deaths and dismemberments and action, and we'll pay you a bunch of money. I mean, what like would you be excited about that, to be able to sit there and watch it? I would, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'd be thrilled. I'd be like, oh my gosh, Star Wars, they're going to film a fight scene in my backyard. Greatest documentary of all time. Yeah. (laughs) He's so good. And we would want to watch. We'd say, that sounds great. You know, it sounds fantastic. And so we, you know, we'd sit there and watch the fight scene and it'd be totally fine. I mean, I can't think of any modern Christian that would be bummed out by watching an awesome fight scene with beautiful choreography and this epic battle filmed in their backyard. And we might think, you know, it's kind of weird that it's in our backyard, but we'd be stoked. But let me ask you this What if the people from Game of Thrones call you and say, hey, we want to film a sex scene in your living room and we want you and your wife to watch? How do you think most Christians, even Christians that watch shows like Game of Thrones, how, would, how do you think they would feel
2: about that? I think that would be a lot more uncomfortable for people.
1: Yeah. I don't think they'd be stoked. I mean, I think they'd probably be disturbed by the thought yeah. of having naked actors simulating sex right there in their living room. I think most men would probably be afraid to sit with their wife and watch that happening right in front of them. I think It'd be extremely uncomfortable and it wouldn't be actual real sex happening it would just be actors trying to make sexual acts look real but the reason it would be so uncomfortable is because there's something that is sexually real happening in the room because sex is more than just the act when we watch fake battles and deaths on screen we're not actually witnessing real violence or real death when we're watching sex scenes on tv especially sex scenes depicting nudity, we're experiencing real sexual expression and real sexual nudity, which are things that we know are meant for the private covenant bedroom of a husband and wife. And I think it's crazy because we actually do watch these sex scenes in our living room. The difference is it's just the actors are behind a screen. And for some reason that normalizes it and there's this disconnect. Is that, I mean, do you think that's a helpful analogy for why we should take these things seriously?
2: I think you can even take it one step further. What if the scene was being filmed in your neighbor's living room Mm. and you went to the window and you watched it happen through the window? Yeah. Everyone would look at that and say, whoa, who's that creepy guy there who is trying to spy in on something that's happening? Or, even take out the simulation from it. If someone were to simply spy in on a couple having sex, we would immediately say, whoa, what's going on with that guy? Like that is wrong. That needs to be stopped. Well, to some degree, our TVs are really just windows to other places. Right. And yeah. sometimes like you're saying, we are those people just kind of stopping by and and you know, witnessing it from a different perspective, but still witnessing something that wasn't really made for people to witness.
1: Yeah, I think most of us wouldn't be able to sit next to our spouse your girlfriend or boyfriend and view up close these naked performers doing what they do without a sense that there's something deeply wrong about the situation. That something, you know, private and sacred that's supposed to be special between a husband and wife is now being displayed openly in a perverted way for the pleasure of others. I think the window analogy you're making is is great. Like we we wouldn't do that. It would be strange to do that. But the television and, and, and iPhones and all of our screens have created these windows, Windows, where now we're all just a bunch of voyeurs and we're just able to watch these things and it's normalized and we think, oh, it's okay. And I think a lot of the justification too is like, well, I'm not taking advantage of anyone. I'm not hurting anyone because these actors and actresses, they are getting paid to do this. They decided to do this. So who am I to deprive them of their jobs? And I'm just gonna sit here and watch it. But that's really the same excuse that I've heard people make for pornography of why it's not wrong, where it's just like, oh, this, you know, they wanted to get behind the camera. So I'm just taking advantage of the situation. But I think really all of that reveals, even for us Christians, what our culture has done in in breaking our view of sex and sexuality.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's easy to think because a person chose to do something in the moment, they are now proud of that. And I think each of our own lives show us that there are conscious deliberate choices we have made that we are now deeply ashamed of right and particularly with the example of pornography you may be watching someone's most shameful moment the thing that they are most embarrassed about, the thing that's keeping them from getting jobs or moving forward in life or the thing that they are known for that they wish never happened, you're using that thing for your own gratification. Yeah, I remember. That's a dangerous place to be.
1: It's a very dangerous place to be. And I I remember um, watching a documentary that Mars Hill um, in Seattle put out years ago that was about pornography. And basically, they brought up the point that a lot of girls, like a very huge number of girls that work in the porn industry have either been abused or they've had fathers or uncles that have sexually abused them or molested them. Some of them have actually been kidnapped um, by sex traffickers and you could be watching this porn video and just think, oh, you know, it's just some girl that wanted to get behind a camera to get famous or get attention, but really she's being threatened and people are saying, we'll kill you if you don't do this. And this kind of stuff is very real. And I just, I mean, I don't think there's ever a good reason to, I don't think there's ever a good reason to take advantage of someone else's sexuality. Um, even in marriage marriage should never be a place to take advantage mm-hmm. of someone it's it's a freely given expression between someone it's saying hey I care more about you and your needs and your feelings and your desires than my own and then the other person's saying the same thing and we just can't get that from pornography and we can't get that from television um're we're, we're just we're just voyeurs at best and 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 really at worst we're 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 just you know, we're perverted at worst. It's either we're watching something we shouldn't watch at best. And at worst, we're actually taking those images and using them for our own.
2: Mm -hmm. It's a dangerous place.
1: Hey, welcome back to the Good Lion podcast and welcome to part two of our discussion on sex violence, nudity in media, and the question of can Christians watch these things? Can a Christian watch a sex scene and have it be okay? Is it healthy for the soul? Is it unhealthy for the soul? All of these questions and more we are diving into in this topic If you haven't listened to part one, it'd be really good to go back and listen to it because we cover a lot of groundwork there. But thanks for joining us now. And with that, I'm going to turn it over to the conversation between me and my co-host, Brian Higgins. So thanks for listening. And with that, let's get to the show.
2: One of the other things that I think is interesting is right now we're talking about being comfortable with the simulation of something, being comfortable with a simulation of sex. And one of the things that I know that you wanted to talk about and is a really valid point to bring up is for some people, seeing the simulation of it makes them want the real thing. And we both come from youth ministry backgrounds and we both... Um, still today help disciple and minister to, to young adults, yeah. particularly young adult men in the church. And not that this is only a male problem, no, but just because that's the ministry experience that we have of we walk alongside young men who struggle with porn one of the things that's really important to bring up is seeing something that's simulated can make you no longer want the simulation and can take a guy who is doing his best to move past the struggle of pornography and bring them right back to something they worked so hard to get out of. Right. And it's it's an interesting kind
1: of parallel because again, I simulate violence all the time. Most guys that I know play video games. You know, We'll play Super Smash Brothers and we'll literally be hitting each other over the heads with baseball bats while we shoot fireballs down each other's faces. But it doesn't make me at all want to really do that to anybody. And we'll do that in the church youth room. (laughs) Yeah, we'll do it in the church youth room. But if we sit as a group of guys and like watch pornography or a show that has all the sex and nudity... And which sounds really weird to do that with a group of guys, but, you know, just doing it at all, it, it triggers something in me. I'll just be honest. That makes me want those things. And, um, I think, I think it's a, it's a, it's a thing where it's this combination of good nature meets sin nature. Like God designed me as a guy to respond to beauty in a certain way and, and sexualized imagery and he created that in a place where for me and my marriage and my wife like it's meant to be there it's meant to be a good thing but if if i see those images outside of that context then that's where the sin nature kicks in and all of a sudden i'm attracted to things that i shouldn't be attracted to if that makes sense
2: yeah, it totally does. And I love that you're bringing up the point of those feelings have a, a good intention because it's easy in youth ministry, particularly to look at students who are feeling sexual urges come out of putting themselves in tempting situations and they tell themselves these feelings are bad. Yeah. And it's not that those feelings are bad. It's sort of like uh, this is a very I don't even know if this analogy will work, but let's find out. Um super glue is really helpful Hmm. and can do a lot of good for you yeah and it can you know take a table that's broken i don't know if you'd ever fix a table with super glue (laughs) but it can take broken things and help bring them back together right but super glue is terrible if you get some on your hand and then stick your hand to your face You know, like it's it's doing the same thing. It's bonding two things together. The question is, do those two things belong together? Yeah, no, totally. And when when those feelings of attraction come up, when those sexual impulses come up because of something you're watching, all of those things that rise up in you, they are meant to bind two people together. And the question is, should you be bound to the person you're looking at? Yeah, it's it's
1: honestly this huge issue in the church with so many christian kids, you know, sheltered christian kids who grew up in christian homes because a lot of times the message that kids get from parents and bible teachers and different things is that sex is gross, like it's mm-hmm. it's something that's just like oh, that's horrible and it's wrong because you know, if you're sitting there if you know, if you're a kid and you're watching tv and a sex scene comes on and your parents come in the room and they just seem disgusted, it can kind of create in you this idea that, you know, sex is it's vile and wrong. And and I think that's been kind of the disservice that we as the church have done. We haven't done enough to actually say like, no, this is actually something that's beautiful and it's good. It was created by God. But I think here's like, to me, this is the best parallel I can think of. Christmas morning is beautiful. It's amazing. It's It is just this great moment where as a kid, you know, you come down the stairs and the presents are there and you're just, you're opening them. There's nothing disgusting or or weird about it. It's, It's a beautiful moment. It's giving, it's receiving and all that. What would be disgusting is for you to break into somebody's house and steal their Christmas presents because then you're taking away from another child, you know, another family, something that was special and sacred in the context for them. That's the best analogy I can think of. There's nothing gross about sex. There's nothing wrong or dirty about sex. What is wrong and dirty is taking from someone else what was specifically meant for the context of their marriage. And we're doing that, you know, if we sleep with somebody that's not our spouse, we're doing that. You know, if we're single and we're sleeping with someone we're not married to, we're doing that. But honestly, to the same extent, when we're looking at pornography or even just undressing someone with our eyes, we're doing the same thing. We're, we're taking away from something that was meant for a very special, sacred thing.
2: I love that analogy. And, mm-hmm. and I think it goes right to this idea that we're talking about that you can be watching a show that has simulated sexuality in it, and it can make you want porn again, right and as that happens, the desire that's rising up in you is not to have your own Christmas, it's to steal somebody else's right, yeah, I think that makes perfect sense,
1: yeah, absolutely, and it's just so strange to me because i I know so many guys I've sat down with so many guys who struggle. With pornography, they struggle with lust, and it's so easy to trigger these kind of reactions in these guys. Like it's a struggle for them, even to go to the beach. And that's not like to say like, oh, you know, girls, you all need to wear one pieces or like just wear. F-. Yeah, that
2: that's a place where self control needs to grow.
1: Yeah, exactly. But but what I'm saying is for these guys where it's a struggle. Like once they're around swimsuits, it's a struggle for them. It's they're they're kidding themselves if they think that they're going to be able to watch a tv show with full-blown sex and nudity and not have it be a stumbling block to not have those feelings stirred up and i know this is the case because statistics have shown that recently after Episodes of Game of Thrones have aired porn searches on pornography sites for Game of Thrones
2: related porn, they skyrocket, they jump up. Which I find that surprising. Like I'm blown away by that, but I really shouldn't be. Yeah. Like it it makes perfect sense in terms of how we're talking about this stuff works within us. And particularly if we think about the bonding power that sexuality has, then it makes sense that when you see something that stirs up sexual desire in you, you feel bonded with it and you feel like I should have more of this. And um, it's just teaching you to do that in this like really unhealthy, unbiblical, unloving way.
0: Yeah.
1: Most people listening to this, if you're single, you know, your goal is marriage. Your goal is Um, you know, except for the very select special group of people who have just the calling to lifelong singleness, most single people listening to this, you know, you want to be married. You want to be in a committed covenant relationship with somebody else. I just want to encourage you that pornography and not even to a lesser extent to this, to the same extent shows and movies that feature pornography. If we make these a regular part of our diet, what it's teaching Our minds to do is to have sexual responses towards multiple people towards the idea of variety that's one of the biggest dangers of pornography is it Mm -hmm. it very much takes you away from this idea of one person one body one sexuality that I'm committed to for the rest of my life and instead it trains you to go well in order to have a sexual experience I need to see at least 10 different naked people and um, that is not going to serve you well in a marriage at all. In fact, it's going to be something where it could potentially lead you to not see your spouse in a sexual way and not have your spouse trigger that sexuality in you, but instead you need other things to trigger and that's a very real problem in some marriages, sadly. yeah,
2: And and even without the issue of pornography coming into the marriage just think of i don't know how much you've worked with people who are experiencing marriage problems but i mean i haven't a ton but i i've talked with pastors who have and i've had some experience with that and even just in like forget whatever the reasoning is for a lack of healthy sexuality in a marriage just the fact that it's lacking you're taking away one of the things that's meant to bring you together Right, And so marriages that don't have a healthy view of sex and a healthy sex drive for one another, they wind up with all of these issues actually staying together. And it's because they're taking away this one thing that's really meant to help them stay together. Right.
1: Absolutely. No, I, I want to switch over to the idea of looking at things with lust because I think, scripturally, we need to go to the Word to, to figure out what it says. And Jesus in Matthew 5.28 says, If I say to you, if anyone looks at a woman with lustful intent, has they've already committed adultery with her in his heart. And it parallels in Job 31 when Job says, I make this covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a young woman. Jesus is like basically saying to us that, you know, we've all heard it said, do not commit adultery. If you're married to somebody, don't sleep with somebody else. But Jesus is like, listen, like in my kingdom, because the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus's kingdom manifesto. It's him basically saying, for me as king, I'm gonna explain to you how citizens of my kingdom should live. Jesus is like, listen, in my kingdom, we're so respectful and we're so loving of our sisters that we are not going to even objectify them in our minds, in that secret place where nobody knows and where you, you know, it's not like anybody would see that you're doing that. You know, if you're objectifying a girl, it's like she doesn't even have to know. You can just do it privately. Jesus is saying in our kingdom, that doesn't fly. In my kingdom, we do not treat human beings made in the image of God for our own sexual satisfaction.
2: Helpful to think about some of the parallels that Jesus makes in Matthew chapter five, because um, it's one thing to try to see it with adultery and and sexual intent in your heart. One of the other ways that Jesus does this is he looks at murder and he says, "Hey, you've been told don't kill each other, and that's a great thing. You should keep not doing that." Right, but if you're even angry at your brother without a righteous cause, you've already committed murder in your heart. And so Mm. the whole theme Mm. of that section of Matthew 5 is saying, I'm not just interested in your actions. I'm interested in the heart that leads to your actions. Right. And so Jesus isn't even giving us that first step, so to speak. He's not even giving us that little heart issue that maybe we won't act on, maybe we won't do anything with, but it will inwardly corrupt us. He's saying, you don't even get that anymore. like That unto itself is wrong and damaging, and it's hurting you, and it's hurting the woman that you're looking at, it's hurting everybody, that's not what my kingdom will be all about. And if Jesus is preaching a kingdom of inward transformation that he makes possible by the spirit living within us, then we should expect that with sexual purity, Mm. it will begin inwardly, and it will begin... And and maybe... like I I just know... I talked to some youth students, and I talked to some people in general about sexual purity. And we asked the question, like, what limit do we need to get to? Mm. And I, I forget exactly where it is in scripture, but it talks about that sexual immorality shouldn't even be named among you. Yeah. So like, it shouldn't even be a little bit. And that just gets so discouraging for a lot of people. Right. But remember, this is God's goal for every area of life, that it won't just be you're producing these actions that are outwardly good, hmm. but rather your heart is transformed to the point where you are inwardly good.
1: Yeah, no, that's, that's really, really good. And I, I love the distinction you make between, you know, Jesus is saying, if you're looking at somebody in anger and there's no righteous intent, it's just flesh anger. Um, that distinction that there is such a thing as righteous anger in the same way with sexuality it's not wrong in a marriage to look at your wife or your husband with sexual desire it's actually a very very good thing so to look lustfully there's this distinction between sexual desire which is healthy and god-given and lust which is taking something that's not rightfully yours it's breaking Mm -hmm. into the home and taking the christmas presents I love what James says in James chapter 1, 14 through 15. He says, um, this is a very actually gnarly verse. It's actually a verse that's using sexual imagery to make a point. A lot of pastors won't really even mention that in the sermon, but I think it's important in this conversation to point it out. So uh, verse 14 says, Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So it's like these stages, like you're tempted and lured by your desires. Like your desires are basically dressing up in scandalous outfits and saying, Hey, like, wouldn't it be so great to have me? And then basically, it's like you get together with your desire and it's like this sexual contact with desire where then desire conceives us with sin. It's like the imagery James is using is like your desires, if you flirt with them and then you engage with them, they're going to literally impregnate you with sin not just girls, like we're talking to everybody, guys here too. Like our desires, when we mess with them, they impregnate us with sin. And then the sin grows in us. And then we give birth to it. We, it's like, it starts with desire. And then all of a sudden you're like birthing out of your life, into your life, full blown sin. And then it says the sin grows up and it becomes big and strong. And finally it kills us. (laughs) That's, uh, wow. Yeah.
2: Like I've never realized how gross that verse is. It's
1: like alien you know like when the alien like implants that in your chest and then it like bursts out you know of your heart or whatever Um, it'd be like this like you know a man is watching a TV show that features sex and nudity and he's not expecting it you know it just comes on which happens at times but then when it comes on the screen it lures him and entices him and he doesn't look away and then it impregnates him with this desire and it fills him with a desire for more sexual imagery and then the next thing he knows he's hunched over a laptop giving birth to sin as he accesses pornography Uh, not just accidentally seeing something but willingly chasing after it
2: intentionally going after it right
1: and before he knows it that sin has grown and grown into a massive addiction that ends up killing his marriage his ministry and his relationship with christ and this happens all the time
2: which is crazy. Like uh, it, it's there's almost like throughout this verse, there's this imagery that we just naturally want to recoil from, which is valid because I think with some people, and I know that I do this at time, I don't think of. Evil desires and a relationship with sin through the imagery of a sexual encounter. I think of it through the imagery of a nice friendship. Hmm. Like, sin is my bud. Like, sin and I hang out. Like, we go and do some stuff. We talk. We, you know, I'm able to tell him no sometimes and he gets it. And like, we think of sin as this like fun friend. Like, even you, you just like, you go by like a chocolate store (laughs) and. The description they'll put is that it's sinfully good, you know, and a bunch of things are described that way. Like, sinful gets referred to as like this kind of sort of scandalous, like little bit on the edge kind of fun, right? That we get to have. And so, because of it, we think, like, you know, remember when you were watching like those sitcoms in the 90s and like the older friend would show up and he'd be like, Hey guys, I'm going to show you like what alcohol is all about. And it'd be like, oh, This is one of those scandalous. Episodes, but like
1: a very special episode,
2: yeah, like a very special episode. But like that older cool friend came in and was going to show you this new world, right? And sometimes we think of sin that way, he's like the older cool friend that shows up and says, Hey, I'm gonna help you have fun. Hey, you sheltered Christian
1: who probably hasn't had any fun ever because of Jesus,
2: yeah, exactly. (laughs) Like it comes and presents itself that way, and so we think that evil desire and, and sin are friends that wanna help us reach a new level of satisfaction when really the way that this verse paints it out, our evil desires, they're looking to have their way with us. You know, They're looking to get what they want accomplished and they're just gonna use us as the vehicle to make it happen. Not that they're looking for our benefit and our promotion.
1: It's It's about killing and stealing and destroying the life of the believer i think that's why jesus is so extreme when he says if your right eye causes you to sin tear it out and throw it away and it's this idea where jesus isn't just like we've talked about this before in the righteousness series but it's not like sin is this list of Bad things. And God's like, I really don't like these things. And, you know, you need to just stay away and obey me. And like, it's literally Jesus is like, this sin is like a wolf crouching, ready to spring on you and devour you. So if anything in your life is causing you to get near that wolf, get rid of it because you don't need it. Like, I don't want you to have sin literally jump on you and impregnate you. And then all of a sudden you're birthing death and destruction your life
2: yeah and think about the image that jesus uses is you know remove your right eye if you need to which we know is not a literal thing that jesus is asking people to do wait it's not i know i wish i would have known that i know this eye patch is really makes you look like a cool pirate yeah (laughs) but think about the imagery that just got used for sin like it did more than remove an eye from you mm. you know like the the damage that sin does is far worse than what jesus is saying go to the most extreme lengths you need to right to make sure you're not allowing sin to creep in and take a hold of your life because right. whatever you give up on the front end to avoid sin will be right. so much lesser in comparison than the damage sin will do once it actually is allowed in.
1: So to, to really, really make the point clear here, we can't tell you you know, what you should or shouldn't watch. Like We can't give you a list of shows where it's like, these are the approved shows for Christians and these are the bad shows for Christians. But what we can tell you is if any show or movie that you're watching is causing you to sin, is causing you to have sinful desires, then we can clearly say that the right thing for you is to not engage with that stuff, to cut it out. Yeah, it might be a bummer to not be able to keep up with the plot and talk to your coworkers about it or your friends at school. But it's so much better to have anything out of our lives that causes sin. And I'll just jump into this with with dating Mm -hmm. because I specifically (laughs) remember talking to a couple different um, uh, dating couples who, you know, we were sitting around talking and they were expressing some shows that they were watching. They were saying, Oh yeah. Have you seen this? Have you seen that? And my response to them was like, guys, like I'm telling you, it is not a good idea for you as a dating couple to be watching a show with so much sex and nudity in it. And um, yeah, just I've I've told people that, and I'm usually met with like, well, it's fine, we can handle it. But then, sure enough, I've had people come back to me and say, "Dude, you were right." Like, I as the guy thought I could control myself, but sitting there watching these sexual images with my girlfriend, all of a sudden stirred up something in us. Where at the end of the episode, now we want
2: to do the things that we saw on the screen, and that's not. Does that make sense? Like, is well, I mean, think about think about the way that movies affect us in general. Like I remember when I was a kid, any movie I walked out of from like the ages of seven to 12, I felt like I left with a new goal for my life. You know, like I got out of Shrek and I was like, it'd be cool if I were an ogre (laughs) because like then I could fight bad guys and like, Mm. I could, you know, save Princess Fiona or blah, blah, blah. I can make waffles in the morning with Eddie Murphy, like just whatever movie I got out of. It was like, this is now what I want to do. You know, like you watch a document, like there's a show on Netflix, Chef's Table. Mm. Every time I love that show, my wife and I watch it together every time we're watching that show. And maybe this is just me being super influential, but Every time I'm watching that, or influenceable, not me giving influence, me receiving influence. Right, I got gotcha. you. Yeah, okay, cool. Um, every time we're watching that show, there will be a moment where I'll go, oh, I should have been a chef, <laughs> just because I'm watching. So and like it looks cool, and I'm enjoying it, and then I'll watch like Deadliest Catch, and it'll be like Alaskan crab fishermen right. doing the most dangerous job in the world, and I'm like, ah, oh, those are real men. Like I. <laughs> I should be a crab fisherman like that would be cool and then I'll watch basketball and I'll see like the NBA finals or whatever and I'll be like man why didn't I play basketball more as a kid like right maybe I could have been there like we're maybe I'm just weak but I think we're naturally prone right to look at greatness in other people or look at heroes presented to us and it makes us say I want to follow in their footsteps yeah you know, that's no. that's why so often totally. when when you're driving around a neighborhood, you can see kids playing basketball in their driveways. And so many of them are counting down because they're (laughs) imagining that last second shot that they get to make. They've seen a hero presented to them. And they're like, I want to do the things that made that hero so heroic. Right. And so naturally, when we look at a scene where we say, wow, these two characters are happy. Yeah. <laughs> these two characters seem satisfied. How did they get there? Oh, they used sex for their own purposes. Yeah. And that made them satisfied. Right. Maybe that's what I need to do. And yeah, it's just, if, it works across the board. It's not just sex that does this.
1: Yeah. If you're a young Christian couple and... You know what the scripture says, you know that sex is meant for marriage. And so you're trying to to keep that, to honor that, to honor the sexual ethic of Jesus. But then you're sitting there and you're watching, like you said, to like a couple that's happy and they're enjoying sex and it's it's fun and it seems awesome. It's it's literally going to cause you to to say in your heart, why can't I have that? That just seems so great. The people on the screen seem like they're having such a good time. That makes me want that as well. It's it's totally natural and that's why it's very important, I think, personally, I would encourage anybody in a dating relationship, don't do that to the person you care about and don't do it to yourself. Absolutely. Like realize that those triggers are real. Don't just roll your eyes and say, oh, you two old red bearded married guys, you don't know what it's like. Yeah, we do. We've been there. Like we're, we're speaking from experience. Like These are things that for us in a dating relationship would not have been good for us. And Mm -hmm. we're just
2: trying to pass that on. Um, There's a movie that I haven't seen this movie. There's a movie that Justin Timberlake and Mila Kunis were in together called Friends with Benefits. And I remember, yeah, I remember watching the trailer for it. And there's this quote that has kind of like stuck with me where they're watching, I think they're dating at this point or something, or they're just friends or whatever. I don't know. Um, And they're watching like this romantic movie together and The scene at the end is the classic scene that we see in so many romantic movies where we know that the two characters are happy and together because there's this grand final kiss that they share. And it's like, oh, look, now they're happy. And Mila Kunis's character says, I wish that there was a movie about what happens after the big kiss. Mm. And Justin Timberlake's character says they make that movie. It's called Porn. Oh, wow. And it's kind of like this diving in, like... Gosh. There's this underlying idea, though, that even when we see what looks pure on the surface, it still gives this way to a desire that leads much further. You know, there's this one moment that you see on screen, but it makes you want this other moment that even if you don't see it there, it still can put that in your mind. And so one of things with these dating triggers that i think you need to be careful with is sometimes you will feel like your trigger is so stupid you'll feel like it shouldn't be leading me to this like And sometimes the right answer is you need to learn more self control and you need to not let point A automatically lead you all the way to point Z. Like sometimes that is the right answer, but a lot of the times it's not being worried about how you feel your trigger is. Like we want to be tempted at a level that makes us feel like we're like it takes a lot to tempt us sometimes. Like we want to feel like our what tempts us is worse than what tempts other people. Yeah. But what's wise is saying, look, for whatever reason, this thing makes me want this other thing. So I need to get rid of the first thing, no matter how silly or how insignificant it may seem. It doesn't matter if it's leading you to a bad place, then it is significant and it is a problem and it does need to be dealt with.
1: right like again just to reemphasize we can't you know necessarily tell you what are the right and wrong shows to watch but the main point we're getting at is if anything causes you to stumble it's probably a good idea to get it out of your life like and i'm i'm serious like if if playing super mario brothers w- makes you want to go jump on people and stomp their heads then you probably shouldn't play it Mm-hmm. Most pe- most people, that's not going to be a problem. There might be somebody out there where that is. or you know, if watching Breaking Bad makes you want to go and become involved in drugs and and you know, become addicted to like crystal meth, then yeah, probably not a good idea. and or
2: even just like makes you want to be cutthroat in the way that you go about business or if watching, House of cards, you know, makes you want to crush your enemies. Right. Instead of love your enemies. Like that that's a bad thing. You need to cut that show out then.
1: Right. Yeah. And I think it's very important, touching back on the topic that we're talking about, and Brian, I know you gotta go in a second, so we'll finish this up quick, but I think it's really important to recognize that sex sells and the industry knows that. And there's this Pornification of media and culture where they very much know that this is something that triggers people and they they financially know that they can bank on it making an impact um neil marshall one of the directors of game of thrones and you know we're, we're just picking on game of thrones a lot right now because it's big in culture but this is not the first show that's had sex and movie, we're sure and
2: it's not just it this will
1: one. not yeah it will not be the last but here's a quote from neil marshall one of the directors of game of thrones he says the weirdest part of directing Game of Thrones was when you have one of the executive producers leaning over your shoulder going, hey, you can you can go full frontal nudity. You know, this is television. You can do whatever you want and do it. I, I urge you to do it. And he was like, well, okay, you're the boss. Um, this particular executive took me to one side, he says, and says, look, I represent the pervert side of the audience. Okay. Everybody else is the serious drama side, but I represent the perv side of the audience. And I'm saying, as the pervert side, I want full frontal nudity in this scene. So you go ahead and do it. I think it's just, it's fascinating because this executive himself admits that they are selling pervertedness. He didn't just say sex, he, he said the pervert side. This is a non Christian television executive admitting that perversion sells. And that's the motivation of the entertainment industry there's this literal dark force behind the scenes. And that might sound like overdramatic to say, but Satan literally wants men and women to objectify one another. That is one of the biggest tools in his tool belt to convince humans to treat one another wrongly and to hurt one another is starting by having them objectifying one another. Satan wants people addicted to porn and he wants broken sexuality to be normalized.
2: It's crazy to hear it so plain. You kind of feel like you knew those conversations were happening, but it, it, it's sort of like when when Snapchat was first really gaining momentum, um, everyone had these fears of like, well, this could just become a way that you know, nude photos get shared pretty easily. And then the makers of Snapchat came out and they're like, "Yep, that's what we were going for. Like that was
1: the, the plan the whole time.
2: The goal was to make it easier to talk to somebody and get nudes out of them. Right. Which it's like, it's this thing you instinctually knew, but you were just kind of hoping like, but it can't be that, right? And right. sometimes we have to admit, yeah, it is that. And yeah, it's it's and- wrong and it's broken. There's nothing evil
1: about Snapchat. Even though there was the intention of the creators, there's nothing inherently evil about NAP. but if you're listening to this and if Snapchat is a way that you have people that you're not married to sending you nude photos or you are tempted to send photos to people and, or, or maybe you do send photos, then that's not a good thing in your life. And it doesn't matter if it's Snapchat or Instagram or Facebook or just text messaging anything that is this open door that's just constantly causing us to struggle with sin, I think Jesus would say, cut it out.
2: Can I share one final thought to close? Yes. So all throughout, there's been this lingering question that we've we've answered at times and we've come back to at times. But the question of what if what I'm watching doesn't affect me? Mm. What if an image put in front of me doesn't bother me? Right. There's a a moment in the Bible when John the Baptist is killed. And the reason John the Baptist is killed is because King Herod is hanging out at a party and a pretty young girl shows up and dances in a sexually provocative way. And it says in the Bible that he was pleased by this dancing and he was influenced by it to the point where he said, tell me whatever you want and I will give you everything up to half of my kingdom. Gross. Just for one dance. He was like, look, look, whatever you demand of me, I will give you. Yeah. And one of the things that we need to always keep in mind is that when it comes to imagery that evokes sexual desire outside of marriage, it will always ask us for something. It will always ask us to pay it some kind of tribute. Uh, I was listening to a Tim Chaddock message recently. (laughs) Dang, dude. And he was saying an idol is something that promises to save us and then demands a sacrifice from us. Wow. And so sexual imagery can come along and it offers you this kind of salvation. Hey, are you frustrated? Are you down? Are you feeling lonely? I can save you from this. That's what Mm. it comes and Mm. offers to us. And then it demands that we sacrifice at its altar. And, And a lot of the times what we're sacrificing is just what you're saying, Aaron, that we stop viewing other people as human. Right. So be very careful about thinking something I view doesn't have power over me. It very much can in ways more real Than you may understand at the moment. Like, I'm sure Herod wasn't sitting there saying, Wow, I've completely lost control. Like, he wasn't thinking that, but that's exactly what happened. And we need to, we will often recognize that we've lost control long after we've surrendered it.
1: Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to our conversation. I know this is a dicey topic, but hopefully our conversation made you think that's our goal. And as I close out the episode, I just want to give you guys a tool, a a resource that has been really, really helpful to me. And that is VidAngel. Um, VidAngel is a online filtering service. And no, this is not an ad. I'm not getting paid by VidAngel for this. I just, I personally... Use this. And so I thought maybe some of you guys might want to know about it. So, what is VidAngel? Well, it's a great way to watch content online while still keeping yourself from content that can harm your walk with Christ. Um, it filters out violence, language, disturbing elements, sex, nudity, really anything that you'd want to filter out, you can. Um, and it hooks up to Netflix, Amazon Prime. Amazon Video, and HBO through Amazon. So you can watch a lot of stuff on this and filter out things. I personally usually just keep everything else in and just turn off the sex and nudity, and I'm pretty much good to go. I never really feel like I'm missing out on anything. If there's a scene with a couple, and it seems like they're about to have sex, and they just walk into the bedroom and close the door, and then it just goes to the next scene, I mean, I can fill in the details. I don't need to actually see the actor's Doing it to know what the story is trying to tell me. And personally, I don't think it's necessarily wrong to even watch a story that has characters that do things that are wrong in it. I mean, we read stories in the Bible all the time that has characters who do many evil things. So it's not an issue of like, oh, the show is evil. Don't watch the show. The problem is encountering things in the show that cause me to stumble, they harm my relationship with my wife and with Jesus. And so for me personally, that's why I turn off those things. And I'm not saying it you know makes me any holier than anyone else. But I am saying that for a lot of people who struggle and who have conviction, that for them to view that kind of content would not be the best thing for them and their marriage and their walk with the Lord. I think it's a great alternative. And you know, I don't think as Christians, we have to be prudes and just watch Little House in the Prairie or Veggie Tales. But I do think that we need to be wise and try our best to not place anything in front of us that causes us to stumble. And, you know, with VidAngel, you can even watch Game of Thrones without any of the sex scenes. So, I mean, it's a great alternative. I think it uh, could be very helpful to a lot of people. And it's pretty cheap. I think I pay maybe $9 a month or something like that for it. I'm not sure. Look it up. But yeah, check it out, VidAngel, very helpful. Hopefully that's helpful to you. So thanks again for listening to this episode. Good Lion is a production of Calvary Global Network or CGN. We are a nonprofit podcasting ministry run by a team of volunteers. And our goal is to bring quality, Jesus-focused content to the body of Christ. For more awesome podcast content, as well as articles, educational resources, and more, check out our website goodlion.io and if you want to support our work please visit goodlion.io support if you like what we do leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or iTunes it helps so much to get the word out there about what we're doing thanks guys for listening and until next time this is Aaron signing off
0: This episode of the Good Line Podcast is brought to you by CGN and the upcoming Calvary Global Network International Conference.
3: Hi, friends, Brian Broderson here. And I want to let you know about the CGN International Pastors and Leaders Conference coming up here at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, June 25th through the 28th. Our theme this year is the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And oh, how we need the Spirit of God uh, to be upon us in these days. So we're going to be digging down into that great text from Isaiah 61. We're going to be looking at all the different facets of it. we got a number of great voices that are going to be speaking speaking to us we're going to have times of prayer and worship and lots of fellowship and enjoying meals together and all kinds of wonderful things so if you would like to be part of this conference coming up in june uh, please get signed up today you can do that at conference.calvarychapel.com once again that is the cgn international pastors and leaders conference june 25th to the 28th hope to see you there